Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey, John, thanks for sitting down with me. I certainly appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for inviting me. So for our audience who don't know about you, you actually have two different businesses, Silver Tree Systems and then Work Relay. Can you give a quick overview of what those two businesses do? Sure. Silver Tree Systems is a consulting company. We do a lot of custom work for um, some big companies, DocuSign, Adobe. We've been doing that for quite a long time now. Um, we became a Salesforce partner back in 2006-ish, so we've been doing it for a long time. And um, we decided in about 2012 to start a a product on the Salesforce platform. We believe we had a, an, a, an idea that, uh, that filled a need in the, in the marketplace, so we decided to build it. So we've, been building, we've built it now over a seven-year period mm -hmm. and, um, and implemented across many different uh, industries. So it's been very, very positive for us. So that's Work Relay? Yeah. And what does Work Relay do? So Work Relay is, a, is like a business process management system slash project management system. So the way we look at it is work is work. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's a project or a process or anything like that. Um, because at the end of the day, a project is simply a bunch of processes, you know, predecessors, successes. So, um, so we said, you know, there's just this, you know, there's just work, right? Mm -hmm. And if you want to use that work uh, as standalone, if you want to use it as a part of a process, if you want to use it as a task in a project, it doesn't matter. It's just work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that's kind of how we built the product. So it's, a, it's very different from the typical you know, uh, process and project management tools out there that kind of focus just on one aspect um, of the, those two together. And uh, we found that uh, initially it was hard to um, get people to understand that, mm -hmm. hey, you can have these two things together and they work great together. But over the last year or so, we're starting to see a lot more people saying, hey, you know what? We have time-sensitive processes that we want to manage like projects, mm -hmm. and it seems like you guys can do that. So that's been our big thing. Makes sense. So it's, it has a combination of both process as well as different tasks and all combined into one, so they don't have right. to like go check in a procedure manual to check how to do a specific task. Well, also, you know, a lot of companies, uh, we worked with one company where um, they, um, they're a clinical trials research company, so they do all these clinical trials for the big pharmaceuticals, and uh, they would map out their process, a very complex process as the project's gone for years, um, and they would kind of go through it, they would go through it with their customers, and, and then they had to translate that process into a project management system. Mm. And as soon as they did that, obviously it was out of date because you're going to make changes. So with ours, it doesn't matter where you make the changes. You can make changes through the process design interface or you can make it through the project management, uh, the Gantt chart, mm -hmm. uh, anything like that, it, you know, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, for a lot of companies that, um, that have complex processes but they're time sensitive, they need to be scheduled, all that kind of stuff, then yeah, that's really our, our sweet spot. Most certainly. And you're, you're a king when it comes to project and process management that you've written a book about it. Um, Correct. It's also available on Amazon. Can you share a little bit about kind of the concept behind the book? We often use the words complex and complicated in the same mm -hmm. sense, right? But actually, um, there is a significant difference. Uh, something that is complicated is like you're building an airplane, right? Mm -hmm. You can figure it out 
you know you get the right people involved, you can, you know, you, you know it'll be done in a certain way, mm -hmm. and this is kind of how it, how it works. Something that's complex is not, uh, you can't lay it out mm. in the beginning. You might know where you want to go, but there's so many variables, mm -hmm. so many complex variables, um, that you don't have um, an easy way to, to basically say, okay, this is the plan, this is what we're going to follow. So in a, in a, a, a project management setting, um, the idea that, depending on the project obviously, but the idea that you can plan out till two years out, you know, mm -hmm. with all the tasks and things like that in a, in a more volatile environment, just doesn't make any sense. So if you look at it as a complex adaptive system rather, um, then you can use some of the, the ideas behind the, the science of complexity mm -hmm. to help you manage your projects. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what the book's about. Makes sense. So if it's like, a, let's say if it's a service company that's delivering a fairly complicated service because it requires uh, people with good intellect to understand the business needs and kind of not just follow a procedure, but also have to think for the, the client, right? So in that, in that instance, how, how would that play out? Let's just say if someone is offering like a marketing service or doing some sort of a cons consultative service offering, because we do SEO, paid search, social ad, HubSpot campaigns, all those different things. And it's not just, oh, every, even though it's probably doing the same thing as that HubSpot, I have to think what, what I would do for work lately is not the same that what I would do for another client. You kind of have to think uniquely for that particular client what would make sense, right? Because the tool can have so many flexibilities on what right. you do, but how do you, how do you well, better use it, right? So that's why I was thinking, what is what I do, is it, is it complicated or is it complex? I, I think the kinds of things that you would do are complicated. Okay. Um, because you know the stages that you have to go through, you know pretty much how long they're gonna take, you don't have a lot of um, shared resources that you have to you know, spread amongst many different projects. So that would be a typical kind of a project, right? Mm -hmm. um, where it becomes complex is where you have uh, many more variables, right? So you, have, you don't really know at the time that you start exactly what has to be done. So mm -hmm. and as it, as it uh, progresses, mm -hmm. especially if it's a multi-year project, um, it gets more and more complicated because mm -hmm. you have to find the right things, the right people at the right time, all of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so in, in those cases, you would, you would take a, a, a different approach. Uh, instead of trying to map out, map out the plan mm -hmm. as a schedule, you, you just map it out as a set of tasks that need to be done mm -hmm. um, without having to put in scheduling and maintaining scheduling. Mm -hmm. and, um, you can use uh, something called buffer management, which is a, a way to kind of give you an early warning if your project's gonna go off the rails or not. So the whole idea there is because you can't, uh, in a complicated situation, you know when you're behind because you've got it all mapped out and you've got mm -hmm. the schedule and this kind of stuff. In a complex project, you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know what tasks are gonna have to be done when, but you've got kind of guidelines as to when things have to be done. Mm -hmm. So you try and, managed to that milestone, for example, and has a buffer in it if there are any problems you know, down the line or there's a lot of changes that take place. Mm -hmm. But you can see after you know, how much of this that I know ha I have to do um, has been done versus how much buffer do I have left. Mm -hmm. and if you don't have, if, if they're not kind of together, 
then it, you're, you're likely to miss your, your dates. Understood. So yeah, that's an interesting it's a, concept. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great way to kind of simplify the complexity yeah, to yeah. be able to tackle bigger challenges. Right, and, you know, instead of spending all that time on, on doing scheduling and, and that type of thing, you just basically say, here, here are the tasks that need to get done, let's prioritize them. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it'll get done when it gets done. Makes sense. Obviously, with the emergence of AI and, and machine learning, all those different things that are coming into almost every industry and disrupting things that we didn't even anticipate ever happening, how do you think? How do you see those things kind of affecting the overall project management space? Um, right. So, so a lot of the projects that we deal with are um, uh, really complex, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, they're different every time they're executed, but there are patterns, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you if you had enough data, you could analyze the pattern and say, hey, if it's this kind, if if this is what the you know the the, the project looks like, the things mm -hmm. that have to be done. We've got experience in this. This is the likely way. This is the likely task that they're going to need. This is the likely, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I see AI as being um, a great way to look for those patterns and try and turn it more into a complicated scenario rather than a complex scenario. Mm -hmm. So um, just by kind of watching the patterns and uh, and and being able to say, look, we we we're pretty sure this is how it's going to how mm -hmm. it's going to run. But you have to have a lot of data to mm -hmm. make that uh, to make that happen, and that's one of the problems with AI is you need a lot of data. Yeah. And um, you know, in project management, the question is: Is there enough data uh, to to be able to actually work with and come up with some good, mm -hmm. um, you know, AI type things? Makes sense. And oftentimes, I think you know, even just having AI to support what certain tasks and maybe even eliminating certain things because you can have machine telling you like, hey, this task is no longer required because you solved this problem exactly, earlier yeah. in the process or things of exactly. that nature. So as opposed to creating manual tasks and things of that nature. Right, exactly. Interesting. Obviously, before you got into the entrepreneurial world, you were in the corporate place, you worked for IBM in yeah. South Africa. And then w when did you make that switch from being a big in the corporate space to um, actually being an entrepreneur? Well, I, came, yeah, I worked in IBM South Africa until 1985 and then I came out here. Um, the uh, the, it was actually the last year that IBM did really well. So I always think that because I left, that's why they <laughs> kind of went downhill. Um, but uh, so when I got here, I worked for a consulting company. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, you know, in the early 90s to go out and do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it was uh, quite a switch. Were there any, any kind of uh, limiting beliefs or anything you had about the entrepreneurial life? I, you know, it's funny, I, I, I'm very bad with financial stuff. I can't even read a financial statement. Mm -hmm. My entire philosophy for, for building a business was more money has to come in than goes out. Mm. That's it, right? <laughs> if I don't have more money coming in than going out, I got a problem. Uh -huh. Other than that, I'm happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> it works well for me. So obviously, you know, being in the business and also, you know, like working on the business or working in the business are two different concepts, right? And when you're an entrepreneur trying to build a business, and obviously you've been at it so over 20 years now, yeah. and you have successfully built a SaaS product and as well as a service and consulting company, so you know a thing or two about building a business. So how do you, uh, as, a, as a business leader, kind of balance the act of working in the business versus working on the business? So I, I try and spend as much time as possible with existing clients, mm -hmm. because we, you know, I feel that, that you have to make sure that the clients that, are, that you have already mm -hmm. are happy, 
and that uh, your product is developing in the way that makes sense for them, mm -hmm. you know, try and get their, their, their input. Um, and then only based on that, that's the kind of the number one thing, right? You, you, if you've got the clients, make sure that you keep the clients, mm -hmm. right? And see if you can grow the clients and all those kinds of things. And then you can sort of, you know, go out and, and what, what, what we've tried to do is every client that we've had, um, we've tried to you know, kind of look at their, where they are in the market, you know, mm -hmm. what do they do, and then try to find similar companies mm -hmm. so that we can go and say, you know, we did this with this company, similar to your company, we think this might be a good solution for you. And that's, a, that's been a major kind of direction that we've, we've gone in. So you, you're able to kind of um, get the first-hand data from your customer right. and their, their, their frustrations or, or happiness and then figure out how do you, the, the product roadmap or even the, the direction of a company right. uh, as, far, as far as how you would kind of roll out new features or even new products in the future. Right, so, so just learning how that company, you know, what I issues do they, do they have and, you know, um, how are they solving them? If we can take that knowledge and apply it to similar businesses, then, you know, we have a much better shot at getting the deal. Mm -hmm. Most certainly. So you've been at it for cl close to 20-something years. Yeah. Um, what are some of the lessons you learned in the, in the process? <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest lesson I learned on the silver tree side is don't uh, do work for startups mm -hmm. when you, they don't have all the funding that they need. Mm -hmm. So this has been a huge thing for us because we, you know, we, we love startups. You mm -hmm. know, it's great. We had the, in the beginning, and then you, you find and this has happened so many times where um, they kind of run out of money, right? Mm -hmm. They run out of funding, and they say it's coming, it's mm -hmm. coming, it's coming. You know, don't worry about the coming. We keep on working, keep on working. After like the fourth month, we haven't got paid, and mm -hmm. then you like, guys, you know, come on, <laughs> it's like ridiculous. And uh, I always think, I've learned my lesson, I'm not going to do that again, mm -hmm. but I always do it. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, you know, if you're working with a startup, mm -hmm. you, the best way to do it, and the, really the only way to do it, is to do it on a retainer basis. Get paid mm -hmm. at the beginning of the month, not at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So that you're never going to be out of, uh, out of money. Mm -hmm. um, because you just don't know when they're going to fold or, you know, all sorts of bad things can mm -hmm. happen. And you can lose them a lot of money for sure. That's really so that's that. That was a, a kind of a, a big a big thing for us. Um, the other one is is just partnerships, right? Part, you know, finding partners who you can work with um, that'll that'll both bring you business, um, but also kind of help you in defining whatever the marketplace, depending on the, what the, the partner is, you mm -hmm. know, doing that kind of stuff. Mm, yeah, I mean, especially you built a business on the Salesforce platform. Right. Salesforce built their business on a partnership model. Absolutely. And almost everybody that is trying to get into either some sort of a sales or a project manager or operation or product, they always want to figure out how do I how do I play in the ecosystem of Salesforce? Exactly. And now you have HubSpot is also kind of trying to do the very same thing. Yeah, They're building a platform. Yeah. And they built a hub, and it's essentially the sales, marketing, the service side, and then they also have all this partner network. Um, and I've heard someone also tell me that uh, they said if you, when you're trying to grow your business, you look at the uh, the people around you and say, who has my customer? Right. And how do I make friends with that guy who has my customer? And then both party benefit by having a strategic partnership that's mutually beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a great multiplier. If mm -hmm. you can find the right partner, you know, then you can really kind of scale from there. Scale yeah. from there. Yeah. Any yeah. any failure that comes to mind that besides the startups? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the biggest problem that we had when we built the product mm -hmm. is that we didn't use the idea of a 
you know, MVP mm -hmm. to go out and then start building from there. Um, just by circumstances, we, we started out and we worked with a very large, the CRO I was talking about, mm -hmm. and they had, you know, very complex needs. Mm -hmm. So we kind of did kind of the reverse. We, we started with the hardest part and then we went to the less hard part, except mm -hmm. doing it the other way around. But it was a very um, expensive way to do it. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that to anybody for sure. Mm -hmm. You want to start with the smallest product you can get out there, get people on it and grow from there rather than trying to build this massive thing mm -hmm. and thinking that you know if you build it, they'll come kind of thing. Yeah. It doesn't work so, so well. So making the minimum viable product, yeah. see if there is a customer market fit, yeah. uh, you know, product market fit, and then from there And then you can refine, adjust it, yeah, yeah. Refine from there. Yeah. So if you had to go back and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what, what, would, what would be some of the advices that you provide your 20-year-old self? Don't spend money you don't have. <laughs> that would be the number one thing. Uh, cash flow is always a huge mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, I think over the years I've learned how to cope with that, but mm -hmm. in the beginning it was it was a big problem mm -hmm. because you kept on thinking, you know, stuff's going to close, money's going to come in, and it, you know, it's never that easy. Mm -hmm. So you start having those kind of cash flow issues uh, very early on, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I think that it, it gets back to the whole thing about you know, how more money has to come in than go out, and mm -hmm. you need to make sure that that's the case every single month mm -hmm. rather than you know starting to get into debt, you start digging a hole and then you have to get out of it. It's mm -hmm. a, not a good thing to do. Most certainly. And I know you, your business is somewhat a distributor workforce. Most of the employees work remotely. Yeah. How do you keep everybody accountable and how do you keep them all engaged when you're not all in one room every day? Yeah, we're, we're all over the, the world actually. You've got people all over the place. Um, my, my, uh, my general philosophy with these things is that uh, I'll give someone something to do. I'll give them an idea, mm -hmm. and I'll say, "Look, you know, just come back to me with this." So I, I am the least hands-on management person you can ever, you know, imagine. Mm -hmm. The people, so I, I make sure that the people that I hire can go off and do things on their own mm -hmm. without bugging me and without me having to be on top of them and all that kind of jazz. Mm -hmm. And um, it's worked well. And in, the, in you know, in those instances. You know, you don't have to worry about every day what people are doing and things like that. So mm -hmm. that's worked well. So basically making sure that you, when you're selecting the, the people to work with, they better be self-starters, go-getters, uh, and that they don't need a lot of direction and guidance. Uh, you don't want to babysit them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, talking about lessons, that's a big, big lesson. Mm -hmm. right? Don't hire people that you need to look after. Yeah. You know? That's a, that's a nightmare. And oftentimes, you know, sometimes people say, oh, yeah, that my boss is a micromanager. Oftentimes, I think they just kind of grew into that role uh, or to that personality right. style because they worked with a lot of people who are in self-starters or they just didn't have that, that kind of the, the go-to, go-get-it kind of capacity, right? And right. that led to, you know, them having to be overseeing, them, them. overseeing yeah. every employee that they have and micromanaging right. it, which... It affects, yeah. affects the, the morale after a while as well. Right. So, mm -hmm. I was going to say, the, the other thing that, that I learned also is that um, um, you don't say to someone, um, get this done by the 21st of December. You just say, get this done as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Because it gives them incentive to work on it faster. Because mm -hmm. if they think that they have to, you know, they've got all the way to December 21st to do it, then they're going to spread it out mm -hmm. and you know, all those kinds of things. So that's been, 
you know, a big thing for me as well. So just give them, give them the authority and then also responsibility and then exactly. make them, let them make the decisions. Yeah, let them work as hard. I don't care when people work. They can <laughs> work on, you know, in the evenings. You know, as long as they get something done that they're mm -hmm. supposed to get done, it's all good. Do you, ha do you have like a business leader or an entrepreneur that you just admire or, or, or follow? Um, Mark Benioff, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mark is... You couldn't do much better than Mark, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I remember I saw him back in 2003 and I thought, wow, is this guy going to make it or not? He's got mm -hmm. this revolutionary new, new idea. Mm -hmm. And um, I regret that I never started with him in 2003. It would have been much easier. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's, he's managed to do everything right. It's mm -hmm. just amazing. So yeah, I mean, I think he's- He's definitely know. a visionary leader and he's also kind of way ahead of his, his game. Yeah. Of most people that you would think about. Like, so I had another person that I was interviewing a few months back and then that person also said he had an opportunity to go, one of, he exited two companies prior to, prior to going to sell another company to Salesforce. And he said it was 10 minutes into the conversation. He didn't even take the product out. He just heard the idea and heard what the technology is capable of doing. He said, I wanted to buy it. Customers base, the cost, everything was secondary to him. He knew that the product idea right. was great and that's all he cared about. And yeah. he said, I wanted to have that. So that's interesting. That's just how he thinks. Yeah. And that's why I think like even now he's on, an, on a venture to just get all these analytics products on there. I know he's Datarama. He just acquired a few other right. data products. Um, so I think that's just his where, where his mind is now. I think he's trying to get into the data business. Right, right. Uh, he's very, that's the other thing he's really good at is he's, he's really good at identifying where the market's going mm -hmm. and then picking up the, the, the companies that have already started and bringing them into the fold. Mm -hmm. uh, he's really been good at that. Yeah, I know Tableau and Datarama are the two right. recent acquisitions that yeah. I think he made. You, I, I know you said you have an upcoming meeting that you're going to, which is like a, a, a coach or a mentor that you work with. Um, and business leaders all need that kind of community to kind of pick each other's brain and learn from other people's mistakes and uh, also from their, their successes. Uh, what are some of the things you've seen at least interfacing with business leaders? What are some of the common mistakes that you see keep happening uh, made by business owners or leaders? The biggest mistake is running out of money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, that, right? That's mm -hmm. the, by far the biggest thing. And, and I've seen some companies that had great technology, like really great technology. Uh, there's this one company in particular called Coghead back in 2008 and they had really what Salesforce has become in terms of a platform for development and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, they were about to get new funding, more funding, in July of 2008. Mm -hmm. And they said, now let's wait until December because we'll have a better valuation. But of course the financial crisis happened, mm -hmm. they got no funding, they went out of business. Hmm. So, um, you know, just being able to keep up with the amount of money that you need is a is a critical thing, and I've seen people kind of make those mistakes a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also see, like, I think these, uh, especially these startup founders, they just have a, a crazy mindset of what the company is worth, and oftentimes uh, they're, they but they put the value that uh, an investor couldn't couldn't justify, right? And then they're just holding on to that value, and they can't find the funding because nobody wants to. To, to go buy a company that really doesn't have anything apart from some idea and maybe a, a set of code. Right, it's even kind of beyond that. I mean, look at us, we've got a, you know, our product's been around for seven years now and we have a lot of, you know, good com uh, you know, four to 500 companies using it. And even with that, it's very hard to get the right funding. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I've, I've kind of looked at it a few times, and every time I've looked at it, I said, ah, what do I want this for in my life? You know, <laughs> These guys are going to be on my head. They're going to want to see financials and all the stuff that I hate. So uh, I'm better off you know, kind of doing it on my own. So that's, that's why we never took funding. But if you figured out how to, to scale it with the natural growth, yep. and you know how to reinvest into the product and continue to support the customers, oftentimes maybe that modest growth is all you need because a lot of the a lot of the companies who are just aggressively want to get, you know grow oftentimes their goal is not to to build a product that they just want to exit they want to make the quick money and yeah, then get out of get it, out of it go yeah. build another product and oftentimes that's not the the, the best motive that you want to have if you're trying to build a business yeah that's for sure yeah most certainly so if you had a million dollars how would you invest it today i know obviously you just said you know funding you know something that you looked into but you decided that you didn't need the right. money and you're, you're but someone came it. along and gave me a million dollars right mm -hmm. um so our, our biggest week we're a technology company mm -hmm. and our biggest weakness is sales and marketing mm -hmm. and we haven't spent nearly as much on sales and marketing as we should have mm -hmm. um so that's i you know i'd go out and and find the right person to do to run sales to hire people to, you know to get more marketing done that type of thing because at the end of the day when we show the product to people who have expressed interest in it mm -hmm. we typically close the deal mm -hmm. um, because it's a great product it's a very very powerful product our problem is that nobody knows about it mm -hmm. and that's been our biggest thing you know and um so yeah, a million dollars would help a lot. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> You're offering, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a common challenge people have because the, you know, there's that lack of awareness. Because if if enough people heard about a, a specific company or their offerings, then there's enough demand for it, and then then that warrants people buying that solution and ultimately helping that company to grow. But I think oftentimes business leaders have that that challenge. You know, the predicament of like, hey, is the chicken? You know, which one is it, the yep. chicken or the egg? Uh, do I invest into getting the customer or do I wait till the customer comes so I can invest into e exactly, it? This exactly. This is where funding is super critical because if you don't have the actual financials to go and invest the money needed to, to go scale uh, from a sales and marketing standpoint, then the, it doesn't matter how amazing the product is, you can't, sure. you can't, reach, the, you can't reach the growth curves. So that's definitely, yeah. a, definitely a challenge there. So what advice do you have for someone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur? Um, I know you said, you know, you know, making sure that you have the money, that you know how to, you know how to read your financials and some of those other things that you've mentioned, or even and starting with a, a product market fit and, and doing a minimum viable product. But are there any other advice that you have, someone who's aspiring to probably even start a consulting company or a, or a, or a sauce product or something of that sort? Right, so I mean, the first thing you have to realize is it's gonna take longer than you think. Mm -hmm. No matter what you think, it's gonna mm -hmm. take longer. Um, and uh, you know you have to be prepared for that. And when you're starting out a, a new company, you've got mm -hmm. to you know work very hard, and you know just to start getting things going. Um, and uh, you know there's always that that kind of point in time where you say, do I have to? Am I going to hire people? What kind of people am I going to hire? And that's when things get mm -hmm. you know more complicated, right? Because mm -hmm. now you're dealing with a lot more issues that you have, you know, like payroll and mm -hmm. benefits and things like that. And when you start getting into that, um, you know, then you have a company, but on the other hand, you have a lot of overhead and you start have to make sure that you make even more money now mm -hmm. because you, you know, you have to pay these guys, right? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a biggie. So just really having a roadmap of, you know, hey, here's where I'm trying to get to and make sure that the timing is realistic as opposed to like, oh yeah, I can get the product. Like you said, it right. took, took you almost seven years to build a product that's now being used by you know Fortune 500s.
but that just doesn't happen overnight, right? right. And that's, that's oftentimes what I think the, the difficulty when you're getting into an, uh, a business, business, you're often one, the quick wins and the quick success and, and yeah. the time is the name of the game. Yeah, well, I, I mean, if you told me seven, that seven years ago that it would be seven years before we really started getting big customers, I'd be like, I'm not doing this, <laughs> there's no way. Uh, so you have to be pretty persistent to yeah. uh, keep, a, you know, keep going. A lot of, it's like a roller coaster, right? There's a lot of ups and downs. You just have to kind of ride them out. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's not a, it's not an easy thing. I mean, you've done it as well, so it's not yeah. I mean, I think if you look at some of the stories that I've seen too, like even you know uh, Elon Musk or any of those guys, they had a lot of failures. Oh yeah. It took a lot longer than that what you see on the paper today or what you see right. in on on videos. But there's a lot of you know sleepless nights and long days. Right. Right. To get it's to it's interesting you say that though. We we started. I started building this product mm -hmm. actually back in the early 2000s. And we got it pretty far, spent mm -hmm. a lot of money on it. But then we found that the technology had changed, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden everything was SaaS and you had to be on the cloud. Mm -hmm. Start from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. All over again. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that was definitely a failure. But yeah. you, you could, there's certain failures that you could never conceive of, right? Yeah. Who, who knew that, you know, SaaS, SaaS is such a, a new concept, I right? mean, it took off. But it was such a new concept. No, no one could have ever thought about, hey, I have to pray for the software every month. Right. The, I remember early, like, I want to say early 2000, it was still like, buy a software, you get in a CD, you install it, and you don't have to right. pay for the license for until yeah. the computer dies. That was just a concept. I, I want to say Adobe was kind of the first in, in getting into it, that creative yeah. cloud space. They were one of the first to, to actually to pioneer the concept yeah, of a SaaS. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure Salesforce was around, I think around so the, same the same time or even, yeah. 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 So those companies kind of changed the paradigm for how SaaS is, do, you know, how software is sold. Right. Um, and I think I'm starting to hear an, a new acronym, they call it not SaaS, as in software as a service, they call it success as a service. Because that's essentially what these, these solutions are. They're providing a, an offering that helps a company succeed with whatever whatever the problem that they're trying oh, to solve. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. That's so really it's a, good. It's yeah. a new concept I've been hearing a little bit about. So I have one parting question. Sure. Obviously, we talked about a million dollars, how you would invest it in terms of sales and marketing. But what if you had an option to spend an afternoon with Warren Buffett or you had another million dollars? Which would you choose? The million dollars. You think so? <laughs> yeah, because I'm not sure he could help me much because, you know, he's in a different realm altogether. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not down down the deep like we are. So, hey, I'll take the million dollars. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you spending this time with me. Sure. And wish you all the best and uh, look forward to continuing our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.